question. Why don't we know more about the French and Indian War? While in the classroom, my knowledge of the French and Indian War could be summed up in three points. George Washington played a large role. George Washington built Fort Necessity. And finally, Daniel Day-Lewis was last of the Mohicans. What a great soundtrack. <sighs> Considering the first two dealt with George Washington, and the third is a fictional movie based on a James Fenimore Cooper novel, Last of the Mohicans, my knowledge gap was relatively high. There are a number of reasons for this. The biggest, I think, is that most U.S. textbooks look at the French and Indian War through the lens of the American Revolution. In other words, they place a huge emphasis on George Washington. As far as the third reason goes, I really just enjoy the movie and its soundtrack. Ah, oh, wait, what? We're back? Oh, sorry, we're back. We're back. Doing research for this episode, I discovered a number of things I hadn't previously understood, even if it had been explained to me at the time. First off, the French and Indian War was far more complex than I had realized. The very name French and Indian War is itself a fallacy. Second, the ramifications of the war in geopolitical terms were staggering. Great Britain ends up not only with its original 13 colonies, but it gets Canada. Spain gets control of Louisiana, not the state, the big territory that Lewis and Clark explored later on. And France is essentially out of the colonial game in the Americas, at least until the French Revolution about 40 years later. Finally, without the French and Indian War, the revolution may not have materialized in the way we think of it today, and not just because of the taxes placed on trading in places like Boston. Let me explain. First off, the name, the French and Indian War. I've always heard the name explained as the French and natives fighting against the British, hence French and Indian War. While that's partially true, it doesn't cover the whole story. First, to hearken back to a theme I've covered at least a few times already over the course of this podcast, to say native or Indian as in terms of covering one group is at the very least problematic. In the case of the French and Indian War, most of the native groups involved did side with the French, and for good reason. Even though the French were building forts in the Ohio territories, and that's primarily the reason the war gets started, they were not known for having large settlements in the Americas. While there were centers of population, like Montreal and Quebec, most of the French who settled in the Americas were traders, and those traders were as much likely to assimilate into the native cultures as they were to try to dominate them. On the other hand, the British policy of extermination, and there really can be no other term for it, was not something native groups had much use for. Those that didn't side with the French were often neutral, trying to either stay out of the war or profit from it. The big exception here is the Iroquois. The Iroquois, or the Six Nations as they are known, end up fighting on the side of the British during the war. But even that wasn't exactly how it went because with how those Six Nations were organized. For those history buffs out there, yes, the Iroquois were five nations for most of their history. But in the time period we're looking at, the 1750s, a sixth nation had been added. The tribes include the Mohawk, the Oneida, the Onondaga, the Seneca, and the Tuscarora with the Tuscarora being the last to join. Anyway, the Iroquois were organized in a confederacy, and there were many different political factions within and amongst the different tribes. 
For instance, the Onondaga, excuse me, prior to the war were in a power struggle. Much of their leadership wanted to stay neutral, which they had done a good job of throughout the first part of the century. The leadership in the Iroquois were adept at playing the British against the French, and since, well, actually the French and the, against the British as well, and since the Iroquois controlled the land between the two powers, much of modern-day upstate New York, the Iroquois were in a prime position to sell their loyalties to both the British and the French, and collecting arms in return, which helped strengthen their hold on the nearby tribes. It was a very nice deal as long as neither the British nor the French ever caught wind of what was happening. It was a nice deal too as long as the individuals and factions within the Confederacy decided not to muck it up, which is exactly what happened. Enter into our story, Tanagrisen. And I'm probably am butchering that. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. I'm just going to go with that and hopefully it's the right way to go. Um, or as the Europeans knew him, the Half-King. It was Tenegrison's job to gain the loyalty from Pennsylvania and Ohio and the tribes there within. I'm going to use modern-day place names for the sake of understanding, you know, such as the Delaware tribe. Okay, it, it may be a little confusing, but just just go with it. Uh, Tenegrison's main problem was he wasn't given full authority to make agreements for the six tribes. Instead, his agreements would have to be ratified by the six by the Council of the Six Nations, excuse me, hence the name Half-King. He didn't have that full authority. In order to gain more recognition within the Six Nations, Tenegrisen decided to take a bold stance. Instead of working with the tribes to keep the British out of Pennsylvania and Ohio wilderness, Tenegrisen assisted the British colonial courier, a 21-year-old named George Washington. Hey, there's his name. He's, he shows up. Um, and he actually is a very big part of the story. So Tenegrisen and Washington are sent up to Fort Duquesne. It's a fort recently built by the French on the convergence of the Monongahela, the Allegheny, and the Ohio Rivers, where today stands downtown Pittsburgh. After leading Washington to the fort and back, Tenegrisen met with Washington again, this time to help him oust the French from the fort. Uh, the first attempt, the initial attempt to get them, uh, get them, the French, out of the fort just fails miserably. Washington walks in. He's told, no, go away. You know, thanks for coming. You know, sorry you had such a trip. Go back where you came from. Uh, this, uh, don't feel too bad, actually, for Washington. He writes a book, uh, writes, he publishes his journals, and becomes a best-selling author uh, at the age of 21 uh, throughout Europe. So he does pretty well for himself. Anyway, after his adventures, Washington sent back up, this time with a force. And he doesn't have a huge force, though. And he looks for the half-king, Tanagrisen, to help him out. Well, Tanagrisen couldn't muster a large force either. Washington didn't realize it, but Tanagrisen had only a scattering of support from the Pennsylvania tribes. About 80 people total, and this included women and children. And that was mainly because he was not trusted by the Council of the Six Nations. Again, this was going to be his big gamble, uh, was to back Washington. What made things worse was when the small group led by Washington met up with the French, chaos ensued. The wounded French who were left were led by a man named Joseph Colon de Jumonville. And I'm probably butchering that because I don't speak French and I'm, a, I'm an American, so sorry. Uh, Jumonville had been sent to find Washington and asking him to leave or else there would be consequences. Everything could have stopped there had Washington been able to speak French. Instead, what happened was the start of a world war. 
It seemed that Tenegrisen had run out of support from both the tribes he was supposed to bring over to the Iroquois side in Pennsylvania, as well as the council itself, and so decided to take a rather drastic step. Uh, as Jumonville and Washington were conversing, Tenegrisen uh, told his men to pick up their arms, and Tenegrisen himself took his hatchet and buried it in the skull of Jumonville, and that didn't go over well with the French. Washington, being young, unable to speak French, and thoroughly confused at this point, uh, did something that many young people have done uh, throughout time. Uh, He lied. He lied completely. Uh, You know, if he was going to write a letter back to uh, his superiors, it would have sounded something like this. Uh, Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, Things are good here. Okay, well, there was this small skirmish, and we killed some Canadians, uh, French Canadians, and took some prisoners. By the way, these prisoners are definitely spies and should not be trusted at all, especially if they say things like, I killed a bunch of captives in cold blood because that definitely did not happen. Also, the half-king didn't do that either. Um, Again, spies, if they say I murdered someone, they're lying. Okay, good. Sweaty, smiley-faced emoji. Sincerely, George, the guy who definitely did not kill anyone, especially in cold blood, Washington. So if you know what happens next, things go downhill from there. Washington was captured at Fort Necessity, uh, and Fort Necessity is this tiny, ridiculous little uh, podunk place. To call it a fort is really giving a lot of credit, uh, and actually gives a lot of credit to Washington, which I think is why it's called Fort Necessity. A couple years back, I got to visit Fort Necessity, and um, I know growing up, one thing I remember was having this idea in my head that it was this gigantic fort, you know, Fort Necessity. And I think maybe that's what Washington was going for, because really it was just a circle of logs around a small shack. Uh, it's no bigger than most classrooms. And uh, it, it was just really poorly done. Uh, one thing when uh, when I got to go there uh, and reading about it, you learn that Washington, uh, being young and inexperienced, built the thing way too close to the woods. And so the French and their native allies were able just to pick off Washington and his men at will, uh, standing behind the trees. And it just was a bad situation for Washington and his troops. So once the Iroquois Council found out what had happened, they knew what was coming and decided to choose a side, finally. Remember, they've done, uh, for half a century, they've played the French against the British. Well, now they know. If the French win, the allies in Pennsylvania and Ohio, the French allies in Pennsylvania and Ohio, the native tribes there, would become stronger, so the Six Nations needed to sign with the British at this, at this point. So internal politicking by factions within the Iroquois Confederacy led to the French and Indian War, and what would become a worldwide war, uh, what we now know as the Seven Years' War. Guess how long it lasted. It lasted seven years. So this brings us to the second point. What would have happened had the British lost the war? I used to tell my classes that if the French had won the war, we would all be speaking French. And while this is a fun anecdote and helps students remember, it isn't exactly true. I don't want to get into alternate history. While I love the genre and enjoy the novels and YouTube channels that cover it, alternate history isn't history. With that said, I am going to take a stab at it. And yes, this makes me a complete hypocrite. But... What else is new? To understand what might have happened, had the French won the war, we need to start by understanding the differences between the French and the British versions of colonization. 
For the British version of colonization, go back to episode four of this podcast and listen to what was said about colonization or the colonial wars. What it amounts to, though, is extermination. And as stated earlier, the French were more likely to assimilate. While many French traders were assimilating into native cultures, many natives were assimilating into the French culture. A good number of the tribes under the French sphere of influence, for instance, had become Catholic. With the amount of integration and assimilation going on, had the French won the war, the French way of thinking would have permeated North America, especially with the influence shifting after the war. With the French losing the war, they lost all their territories in New France and Louisiana. Now imagine the lo- if the losses had been switched. The 13 colonies would have instead become French. Expansion West, which had been what the colonies wanted and were pushing for, would probably have halted, and the nations like the Iroquois and the tribes of western Pennsylvania and Ohio, and honestly those further west, would have been allowed to flourish, at least those who would have remained loyal to the French. The possibility of an American Revolution could still have taken place, but not necessarily. Then, with the wealth that would invariably have come from the Americas, the French royal coffers would more than likely have been filled, allowing the king of France to maintain control, not to have to call for the estates general, and if you know anything about the French Revolution, he would have been able to keep his head. There is too much to guess, really, but the French losing the war had a dramatic impact on everything that followed. For myself, growing up and now living in the land that was once held by the Ojibwe, I may be speaking French, but more likely I wouldn't be here at all. Finally, following the war, we have the Royal Proclamation of 1763. This proclamation states the Western Territories, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, all those states that we consider today, all of those territories are off-limits to the colonists. There was going to be a separation made at the Appalachian Mountains. Well, the Western parts of the colonies were not big on this. The Western colonists wanted to expand. They wanted to move further west. All this great land that was out there. This proclamation was going to anger the settlers, the colonists. And there's an interesting impact. It unites Boston shippers, Boston traders, with Pennsylvanian farmers against the British crown. So why don't we know more about the French and Indian War? Probably space and time, not the Einstein version, the history textbook version. Uh, History classes only have so much time to get through everything in their history class, and honestly, textbooks only have a small amount of space, which is honestly too bad, because without the French and Indian War, everything that follows, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, Manifest Destiny, Napoleon Bonaparte, and Dynamite for that matter. Nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. Probably never happen. Without this war taking place, all the rest of history, which we talk about, just doesn't happen.
Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and think others might as well, please leave a review on iTunes. You can contact the show if you'd like by going to the website, aquestionofhistory.weebly.com, or email the show at questionofhistory at gmail.com. Finally, we're on Twitter, at QofHist. Thanks so much for listening. This has been A Question of History.